But here, we are here to talk today about this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, and how it is opposed by an, another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. You know, us as modern people, we like to think, like, we tend to think, oh, these spirits and these demons and these stories, oh, I mean, like, maybe we can soften the edges on this. Maybe Jesus was just, you know, just opposing the idea of evils. You know, like, mature Christians have made these conclusions in the past in church history. Oh, these weren't real spirits. These weren't, this isn't a real kingdom. This is just, you know, the embodiment of evil. But unfortunately, that's not the picture that Scripture paints to us that the reality of things, that, that there is this kingdom of darkness. And today, we have to grow some spiritual muscles. We have to grow some spiritual muscles so that we can stand in truth, so that we don't always live in the defense, but that we at some point start living in the offense, right? Taking more ground in our hearts, in our lives, in our city for Jesus. You know, one of my favorite parts of Scripture is it talks about how the gates of hell will not prevail against us. You know, gates are defensive. They're trying to keep us out. And at some point, we need to start knocking down the gates of hell and taking more and more territory in, territory in our own lives and also in Jersey City. Amen? And so let's talk about this one story. I know Anne read it to, edit, read it to us today. And by the way, that's something that we're going to keep on doing because we want to hear God's Word all the time, and we want to have more faces up here up front reading God's Word to us. And so if that's something, I already have people that I want to call on, but if that interests you, if you want to read Scripture to us on our behalf, like come talk to me, come talk to Ryan, or come talk to Michael. We want to have people here reading God's Word every week. Amen? And so let's read this one more time. Actually, let's pray. I really feel a need to pray a lot today. I have been praying a lot today. I've had like 70 different versions of this sermon this week, and I've just wanted to say a million things, but this is what I really, really feel God has on my heart for us today. So let's pray real quick again. Jesus, I ask that you would be with us here today, Lord. I ask us that you would be uh, strengthening us, Lord that your truth will just build a strength in our souls, and our hearts, Lord, that we would never trade in, trade you in for anything that's counterfeit, Lord. Only you are victorious. Only you are undefeated, Lord. Only you can do all the things that you do. Lord, we really love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, real quick, before we read the word, I forgot I wanted to, to talk. I want to be really sensitive today about three people in the room. For some of us, we didn't grow up in the church, or we grew up in a church that didn't acknowledge any of this. So this might be all new, and it might be a little scary. Uh, I'm here to tell you, if that's where you come from, that this stuff is real, but that you shouldn't be afraid, because we serve Jesus. Uh, for the people in the room who grew up in the church, who grew up in faith, but was always told that, you know, this was not a real thing, or Jesus was, like, destroying this, like, just this picture of evil, it wasn't really a spirit, you can't, like, spirits aren't real. Um, I just want to tell you that, unfortunately, you got a bad teaching, a less biblically accurate teaching, and we want to work some of, we want to start this process of working some of that out today. And then also for some people, I have found in my time in seminary and in ministry, some people are way too into all this spiritual warfare stuff. Like, you are way too attracted to this. We need to pump the brakes on you a little bit 
because there's nothing nice, there's nothing good about this type of ministry. It's important, and if you know Jesus, you should be a part of this. But in this ministry, you hear people's worst stories. You hear the worst things that's ever happened to them. You hear deep, dark secrets. And so there is nothing good about the kingdom of darkness. There is nothing good about what the kingdom of darkness does to us in our lives. There is nothing good about this except for Jesus. Amen? And we'll talk a little bit going forward about this. But let's read God's word today again. We're going to be in chapter 9, verses 14 to 29 again. And it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his Father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out, and the boy was like a corpse, that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and, arose, and he arose. And when he entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so today, we're talking about the spiritual reality of that there is this kingdom of God and that there's this kingdom that opposes it. Last week, we got to start at what we preached at last week. Last week, we talked about the transfiguration, remember? It was about when Jesus, for some reason, pulled back his humanity and showed them who he really was, that at his essence, he is the embodiment of all of God's glory, that everything we see in God is in Jesus, and that it is beautiful, and that it is pure, and that it's even, quite frankly, scary to us, because we can't take in how good Jesus is, right? And again, it's such humility that Jesus once again chooses to leave a heavenly place. He chooses to leave a place where, he, where the kingdom is reigning fully, and he comes down the mountain and is immediately faced with a tragedy. You know, let's just start right there. How great is Jesus that he never stays in heavenly places, but that he comes down for us over and over and over again. That we have a Savior who says, I will get my hands dirty for you, that I will actually come here and I will touch you and I'll let your sicknesses be around me and I'll heal you and I'll pray for you and I'll cast out anything that's in my way and nothing can stop me 
we have an amazing Jesus. Even right there, man, the rest of our lives, if we dedicate it to fully, to understand what that means a little more, man, Jesus is good. That this freshly glorious Jesus would come down and be with you and be with me and that he promised to send us a, a spirit who would be with us and come in us and live with us and do this work over and over and over again daily. Man, we have a good God. You know, if I were to come here, stand in front of you guys, and kind of peel back my humanity, maybe take off my shirt, there would be nothing impressive here except for an oppressive amount of baby fat for a 33-year-old. It is pretty crazy. There's nothing in me that can do anything. There's nothing in you that can really do anything. Today, one of the things that we have to talk about a couple of times is helplessness is going to Jesus when we're helpless, acknowledging that we are truly helpless, that we really can't do much of anything most of the time. Apart from God, we can't do anything any of the time. And we have to realize how helpless we really are, that we need Jesus every day. We need this Savior. We need this glorious one to do anything in our lives. And so we're going to talk about three characters or three groups of characters today. The first one is going to be the disciples and the scribes. You know, the disciples are brought this boy. We give them a hard time, right? But here, one of the encouraging things is that while Jesus was up in the mountain, the rest of the nine were still worship. They were still ministering. Like, come on, let's give the, uh, let's give the disciples a, an applause here. They did something right sometimes, right? And so they're ministering, but then they get to this boy and they don't know what to do. They're just helpless. They realize that they're helpless. You know, this is really made evident. This is really interesting when we think about Mark 6. Mark 6 was only three chapters ago, but for us it seems like 82 months ago. Uh, Mark 6, Jesus sends out the twelves in groups of two by two, and he gives them authority over unclean spirits, right? Demons. And he cast them out, and Mark, this book that has no details, gives us some detail, and he says that they casted out many, many demons. And so the, the, the disciples' problem here was not experience, it was not formula, it was not their worldview, it was not all of these things that we could say. Mark even goes to tell us it's not about even the words that they used. You know, sometimes we stress really hard about, like, God, am I even saying the right things? Like, am I really saying the right things? Is there a magic formula? And in God, there are no magic formulas. It's rarely ever about the exact words that you use, but it's about your heart and your approach. You see, in this story, we'll really digest this in a little bit, but the disciples' main problem was that they were too reliant on themselves, that they were not, that they did not approach this really feeling and knowing that they were truly helpless. You know, they had this experience back in Mark, Mark 6. Oh, I've done this before. Oh, I got this. Oh, no problem. We got this. This little boy's demon. Yeah, we got this. We can do this. They've had experience. They've had success. And yet, they didn't really know how helpless they truly were until this time. This also gets compounded because the scribes are there. The scribes are some of Jesus' most bitter enemies. They hate Jesus. They've made their mission to oppose Jesus and to kill him. Not even just badmouth him. Not, there was no Twitter. They weren't just going to demolish his reputation or his social media presence. They wanted to kill this man. And imagine being one of the disciples and failing in front of them. 
Like, if there were people that you did not want to fail in front of, it would be your enemy. You know, I heard a friend of mine preach a sermon on this once, and he talked about, hey, ladies, you might burn your dinner a million times, but the one person you don't want to burn the rice in front of is your mother-in-law, right? Imagine burning the rice in front of your mother-in-law. Like, these these were the one people that you did not want to fail in front of. I can just hear the scribes talk about it now, saying, oh, you guys, I knew you were a bunch of frauds. Your master's a fraud. Jesus can't do anything. You guys are frauds. I can hear them in the background. As someone who is in ministry, I've never had an opponent quite like that, but I have tried to minister to people and have gotten nowhere, and I know the feeling of being like, oh, like, Jesus, like, our name is on the line. Your name is on the line right here. You need to show up, and for some reason is nothing was happening and it was because they relied too much on themselves and they weren't relying on the one who could do anything you know the scribes were there and they were making it worse giving them pressure and they couldn't adapt they couldn't adapt to what was happening with this boy and they couldn't be for that boy what he needed you know one of the spiritual realities that we're talking about spiritual reality today is that we really have to realize that spiritually we are pretty bankrupt we're pretty weak that even the oldest most mature of us here that if you grew up to be 99 and you love jesus every day of those days you still not quite where you should be and we need jesus we need to know that we're helpless let's talk about the boy's father he's the second character that we need to talk about today I love how in verse 17, when Jesus comes down, he just asks one basic question, and the dad, he does not need an invitation. He is jumping in here. In verse 17, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Like, this, this guy did not even need another invitation. Jesus opened the door an inch, and he kicked it wide open, because he knew how helpless he was. He talks about this spirit. He says that whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it on. They were unable to. Then Jesus answered, and then he goes on and says, And when the spirit saw him, saw him immediately convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Imagine the helplessness that this dad already knew. Imagine your son, that there was something in your son, that there was the spirit in your son who would throw him into fires, who would throw him into waters to harm him, to kill him. Guys, one of the things that I have to say for us today here is that the kingdom of darkness... And our enemy, Satan, they are a bunch of cowards. The only thing they care about you is to hurt you, is to kill you, is to steal what God has for you. I've met so many people who think that they benefit anything from spiritual enemies. And let me just say, there is nothing beneficial in what they do. I have counseled people, I have prayed with people who have chosen to stick with their spirits because they thought they benefited something from it. I just want to make it clear. I want us to leave this room here today. No, there is nothing beneficial 
from anything outside of what God has for you. That the enemy so many times hurts us when we're kids. He doesn't care for even kids. That so many times he comes after our youth, after our kids so that we grow up with these wounds, so that we grow up with these lies, so that at some point it's not him who beats us over the head with these lies, but that it's just ourselves because we've accepted it. Like God, the, the kingdom of darkness, they don't, they're not fair. They don't care about fair. They don't care about anything that's good. Their sole purpose is to bring chaos back into the order that God created and is always unveiling. And so back to this dad. He was helpless. He knew that he was helpless. I want to know how old this kid was. I really want, I wish I could say, Mark, how old is this kid so we can have an idea of how long this kid and how long his family suffered. But we don't get that detail. Unfortunately, we don't get that detail. All we know is that there have been years and years of suffering, years and years of not being able to help your own son, not being able to help your brother, not being able to help him. And so that is one of the main differences we see here between the disciples and this boy's father. We'll talk about some of this boy's father's uh, inadequacies soon, but he was helpless. He knew that he was helpless. He's, this man was desperate. He was desperate for his son. You know, we today, we have to acknowledge, before we leave here, we have to acknowledge that we are really helpless, that our lives might be put together, that we might be doing all right, but that we are really, truly helpless, and we need Jesus to, to be our guard. We need him to help us, when it, especially when it comes up against the kingdom of darkness. And so I just think of this dad as a dad, and I'm like, man, this is really painful. This is a lot of years of suffering. He really understood. We need Jesus. He runs up to Jesus, and he says, he has this beautiful interaction with him that only like someone who knows desperation can really have. Sorry. In verse 22, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do something, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do something, man, that sometimes is the best place to start with Jesus. If you don't know, if you're suffering, ask Jesus and let's see what he says. But to this father, he says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes, in times of struggle, in times where you're helpless, that's really the best answer you can ever give. If that's your honest answer, that is the best answer that you can give Jesus. Jesus, I believe, but actually help me because I believe very weakly. Or Jesus, I really, really want to believe, help me. Not prove yourself to me, but show me I want to believe. All I have is this little bit, and I need you to bring it into this bigger bit. You know, this is a really, really, really beautiful interaction that this father has with Jesus, because it's honest, because it's really him pouring out his entire heart. It's really beautiful that Jesus takes that, and he accepts, and he says, you know what, yes, I know your heart, I know your suffering, I see where your boy's at, and I will have you. I will help you. I do have compassion, and I do have the strength. And so then, let's transition to talk about Jesus, because we have to talk about Jesus. You know, this perfect Savior, 
This guy who comes here and continually leaves heavenly places to come and get his hands dirty, to bring us back to life, to nurture us, to do all the things that we can't do for ourselves. And Jesus is so amazingly perfect. Here, I love here in verse 42, sorry, not 42. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, and after the, sorry, and immediately the father of the child cried out and, I, and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of the boy, never come in him again. It is so cool. The way that exorcisms happened in the olden days is that there was a lot of attracting of attention. Uh, every exorcist wanted you to know who it was the one who was powerful enough to manipulate spirits. And here Jesus doesn't even make it a show. That Jesus and his restoration process cares so much for our dignity that he's not going to turn you and he's not going to turn me into a show when we're really struggling. To Jesus, he didn't care if people really knew who it was who did this because he knew who was the one. That he so is a part of restoring our dignity, of keeping our dignity together, that he's not going to make a show, that he's not going to be extravagant in showing everyone who is the one who can do this. And I also love how Jesus simply just commands the spirit to go because it's not about any ritual, it's not about any formula, it's not about the exact right words, but it's about the restoration of God's order and human dignity. I love that. I love how good Jesus is for you and for me. We also need to talk about the two basic problems that Jesus brings up here. He has two critiques on the characters of this story. The first one comes in verse 19, where he says, O faithless generation, how am I to be with you? How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And then later in verse 29, he says, this when in private, when the disciples asked him why they couldn't do it, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, and some of the translations put in fasting as well. And so faith and prayer, those are the two things that Jesus talks about. These are the two things that Jesus says were the problem here. You know, faith means a lot of things. Theologically, there's a lot of definitions, but for this story, I'm really convinced that what he's talking about is trust. Trust in him. Like when he's talking about faith, he's like, who do you really trust? Do you trust yourselves? That was the disciples' problems. Do you trust yourselves over trusting me? Is the power, is the source really from you or from anyone else, or is it only from me? You know, I love that Jesus points out faith, that it's this trust, that it's this relationship that we have with him. And then the second thing he says in verse 29, he talks about prayer. That prayer was what they lacked. Some spirits can only come out in prayer. To me, prayer is a lot of things, right? But it's also a dialogue. It's this relationship. It's this continually going to Jesus, talking to him, pouring out our hearts. For as holy as God is, right? For as other as he is, for as reverent that we need to be towards him, we also have this sense of familiarity. That he is our Abba Father. That he is the one who comes low to meet us and to take care of us that he's the one who promises to wipe away every tear from our eyes, right? So there's this holiness, but there's also this, uh, Jesus, like, God's an old friend of mine. Do you know how many hours we spent in private talking? Do you know how many times I've cried to him and he's answered me? It's this relationship that you keep running back to. 
So faith and prayer, the two things that the disciples didn't have. I also think about the scribes. The scribes, was, the scribes were the people who <coughs> represented the best of us, the smartest of us. If there was anything to humanly know about God, the scribes would know that. And so it's not always about what we know, but it's about our relationship with the Lord. It's about us going to him continually in prayer and asking him to help us. You know, the, bo the boy's father knew his limits, but he didn't have the prayer. The disciples knew what God could do, but they didn't have their faith in the right place or prayer. And so we need to be a people who have tremendous faith in Jesus, that he is our only source, that this glorious one, that the one who transfigured himself is the only source, and we also need prayer, this familiarity, this reverence, this coming to him, pouring out our hearts over and over and over again. And so what do we do with all of this? How do we close this? How do we go out from here? How do we really change anything about our lives? You know, there's so much that I wish we could talk about in terms of power encounter and how we deal with spirits, and that will come in time and probably a different setting from Sunday mornings. But there's so much to say, and so we really, I just have three closing statements for us today. The first one is that weak faith in Jesus is better than strong faith in yourself. I'll say that one more time. Weak faith in Jesus is better than strong faith in yourself. That when we go to Jesus, when we really honestly see our limits and how helpless we are, when we really honestly hit the wall over and over and over again and we're in this place in life or we're in this obstacle of life that are like, I, Jesus, I can't do anything about this one thing. I need your help. Weak faith in Jesus is better than all of the strong faith you have in yourself. The disciples showed us this. Past experience, past success. Sure, that's great. That's really good. Godly things. But that's not where you stop. You keep on going forward and you bring God's kingdom into more and more and more areas of life and for other people's sake too. The second is life happens and then there are also demonic assignments. You know, I was talking to Barry this week about this. There are some parts of life that happen because we live in a sinful world, right? We all die. We suffer. Some people get sick. Some people don't. Some people will die in a storm. Some people won't. They're natural disasters. Life happens in a broken world. Our very creation, the Bible talks about how even creation needs redemption. And so life happens sometimes. But then there are also these areas in life, and there's these times in our lives where it's a little bit more. It's, it's a demonic assignment. And Jesus, over and over and over again, even with this boy and other people in the Gospels, Jesus goes up against these king, this darkness. He goes up against these spirits. And guess what? He never loses. And so our job as believers is that we really have to be, we have to practice faith and we have to pray about when in our lives are we suffering because of sin, because of our own flesh, and when in this world are we suffering because, you know what, there's actually an assignment on this. Because if there's an assignment, Jesus breaks it every single time. You know, I really enjoyed the conversation I had with Barry because it helped me to think a lot. God did not want any of this for us. He did not want any of this for anyone. His original plan was Eden, that we would all be in Eden with him. But unfortunately, that's not what we chose. We chose this 
but God can redeem it. Which brings us into the last point, is that the kingdom struggle is not dualistic. We like to think we have this classical Western picture that on one side is good and on one side is evil and there's this eternal struggle between the two, but that is not the most biblically accurate picture. You know what, guys? God's kingdom is infinitely so much stronger than the kingdom of darkness. That the kingdom of darkness cannot even hold a candle against our God. That over and over and over again, even in death, Jesus won. That we have victory. That there is victory in Jesus. That he has already won and we're waiting for that, for that victory to uh, come in its fullness. But don't ever think, don't ever leave this room, don't ever be afraid of spirits or the kingdom of darkness because you don't need to be because you belong to the one who has already won. You belong to the one who is really, really strong and able to do anything. That Satan compared to God is nothing. And that one day God's ultimate victory will come, but until then we belong and we align ourselves with Jesus, the one who can help us when we can't help ourselves. Now, I want to go back and I want to finish in that Uber story. I got in the car and I was worshiping Jesus. I put on some worship music. And then two hours into the, my driving that morning, I got this notification from Uber that my account had been suspended. Apparently, two people said that I was driving while under the influence of something. I don't know why that was. I, in my opinion, I was driving fine. I'm a really good driver, guys, believe me. But I just had to say, like, God, I told you that I wouldn't stop worshiping you today. That I really believe that that was an attack. See, Uber was the only way I was making money, and for two weeks I couldn't drive. For two weeks I really lost out. For two weeks I, I didn't know where my help would come from. But I prayed, I said, God, you know, I told you I wouldn't stop worshiping you. I wouldn't stop saying how good you are. And so we, it was a difficult month. It was a really difficult month. But you know what? God is so good that even when we're suffering, even where we're losing, God is able to help us. You see, one of the really big differences, the last thing I'll say, I promise, the big difference between God and the kingdom of darkness is that God is the only one who can redeem darkness wants to kill, steal, and destroy. They want to break. They want chaos. But our God is the only one in the entire universe, in the entire anything, who redeems. That not even you and I can redeem things. And so that's why we rely on God. Because even when the enemy takes from us, even when we suffer, even when things happen outside of God's will, God can redeem it. There's so much that happens in this world that God never wanted to happen. other forms of abuse, all the ugliness that we put on one another. You know what? God never wanted that. He wanted Eden. But thank God that we have the God who redeems. Only God can redeem and give us back what was taken from us. Give us good things, holy things, and build us up again. So let's worship this Jesus really quick. Let's worship the one who is in the first place strong enough to help us good enough to redeem whatever we've lost and whatever we've suffered. All the things in our lives that God never wanted to have happen to us, God can redeem it and he can bring us healing. Amen? Let's worship this God a little bit more. We'll come back together.
more victory knowing that God's kingdom is victorious. God's kingdom is the 